Well, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. And our text this morning will be two short verses, verses 11 and 12. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning at verse 11. Again, listen to God's inerrant word this morning. To this end, also we pray for you always that our God will count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. There ends the reading of God's word this morning. Join with me again in prayer before we tackle our text this morning. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that you have given us your revelation, that you have put it in human language, you have put it in our language so that we can understand it. And in fact, you expect us to understand it. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that has been given to us that illuminates the truth of the word of God so that we can know it for sure. And so I pray this morning again that your Holy Spirit would be the teacher and that he would teach us the truths of your word and that he would place them on our heart and that you would use your word as you see fit in our lives to tear us down, to build us up, to correct us, to encourage us. And so I pray that your Holy Spirit would work here this morning in our hearts. In your name, amen. You might ask the question, how then should I pray? The disciples asked that question to Jesus. How should we teach us to pray? How should we pray? Well, if you were to do a quick survey and look around, you would see that there are those who say that prayer is actually the way to get God to give you what you want. And in fact, God is, you pray to God and you, you ask him for the things that you want. So you simply, really, prayer is also, a, even farther than that, a vehicle to allow God to work. You pray and you release God's ability to work. So you pray to God, you speak into existence what you want, and it will come to you. And it's a way to get physical prosperity, whether it's money, power, relationships, whatever it is, it's a, it's a very horizontal thing. Now, for most of us here at Bowmanville Baptist Church, we would, we, we would turn our nose up that we're not like that. We, we, would, we do not presume upon God. But if we were to actually look at the content of our prayers, are they much different? When we pray, is our content really much different? What, what do we pray for? Do we say, dear Lord, help me to what? Pass this test. Help me to make money. Help me to get this job, this job, this interview. Help me with my health. Help my friends with their help. And our prayers are often filled with things that are very horizontal. Now, we're not presuming on God, of course. 
But our concern is really very horizontal, very physical, very of this earth. But as we look at Paul pray, we see a different concern. A concern that goes beyond the physical and the everyday and a concern that goes into the eternal. And we could really say that Paul is laying out for us in this passage how to pray. He's laying out things that we should be concerned about, things that we should pray for. Paul doesn't pray selfishly. He doesn't pray earthly. He prays in a heavenly fashion. And in this passage here, he's not correcting theology and he's not trying to correct bad behavior. He's not addressing any kind of issue. But Paul is going to pray and he's going to pray out of a heart that is saturated with what concerns God. What does God want? And in that, Paul will, will demonstrate to us four requests or four concerns that should be in our prayer life as we pray to God. First of all, he will show us that we are to be those who are worried about being worthy for God. He says, pray for God-enabled worthiness. Pray for God-fulfilled desires. Pray for God's powerful works and for God to be glorified. And he goes beyond the simple requests for health and wealth and for prosperity and for comfort to the very heart of what God desires for his people. And ultimately, he is praying for their sanctification. And this has always been Paul's concern. He always has prayed for their sanctification. God's will for you is what your sanctification. I want to fill, he says in chapter 3, verse 10 of, of 1 Thessalonians, to fill what is lacking in your faith. I want to bring you to maturity. And so he says, to this end also we pray. He begins this section and he looks back on verses 5 to 10 or 6 to 10. And he says, there's a sense in which you will be glorified. God will be glorified in his saints. And if God's going to be glorified in his saints, then there are certain things that need to happen to the saints so he can be glorified. If he's going to be glorified in you and you in him, there's going to have to be a journey that takes place. There's going to have to be a transformation in you. And so Paul prays for those things in this passage. So he says, to this end, to the coming, the fact that the certainty of glorification, Paul now prays for that, for the believer towards that end. And even though he knows it's God's plan, his sovereign plan to glorify, glorify his saints and to be glorified in his saints, Paul still prays for it because he knows that what God will bring it about. He knows this is God's will and therefore he prays for what God has said he will do. And that's interesting because we often say, well, why pray for what God says he's going to do? Because it's God's will. And when we pray, we come to pray not to give us, to ask God for what we want, but to lay down our wills for his will. 
And so we come and we pray and we say, this, this prayer will be answered because this is actually God's will. And so we can know for certain, sometimes we're not sure how to pray. Here we know exactly how to pray because this is exactly what God stated he would do. You notice this, he says, to this end also we pray. In other words, Paul has been doing other things. He just gave thanks for them. He's boasted in them. And now he's going to pray for them. Paul's busy. He's boasting. He's praising. And now he is giving thanks. And now he is praying for them. You notice, always. We pray for you always. Not sometimes. But this is our habit of life. This is what we do. We came, we gave you the gospel, and now we what? Pray for you. Just a note, when you share the gospel, when people get saved, you don't stop praying. It's not the end of your ministry to them. You keep praying for them. And Paul says, we always pray for you. We continually pray for you. That was Paul's pattern of life. That's what he did. Continually we see through Scripture him saying, I pray for you, always. This is the pattern. I recognize the need for God's intervention. I recognize that without his help, none of these things will take place. So as we go to our passage then this morning, after that first statement, Paul says this, that our God will count you worthy of your calling. Paul's first concern here is they, they, that they will have a God-enabled worthiness, that they will have a God-enabled worthiness. So Paul prays for them, and, but he prays really that God will count you worthy. Now notice this, that he says that our God, you would expect that it would be your God, but he says our God, and Paul again pulls his readers in with himself. They have the same God. There's an intimate connection between the writers and the readers, and Paul wants them to know that they are serving the same living God. Now he used this word worthy earlier in the, in the chapter. He said in verse 5, this is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered what worthy of the kingdom of God. Back there, he was worried about the eschatological kingdom, but here his, he wants them to be worthy of their calling. So the question then becomes, what calling is he talking about? I want you to be worthy of your calling. Well, the word, we've discussed this before, but we know this. That the word call, every time that it is used in the epistles, is always speaking of God's effectual call to salvation. It is a particular call that he, where he calls those who he has chosen before the foundation of the world to salvation. This is that call that is spoken about in Romans chapter 8. It's a familiar passage to us. And we know that 
God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God, to those who are what? Called according to his purpose. Well, what is his purpose? For those whom he foreknew, those he knew in eternity past, and he knew the individuals, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn of many among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he what? Called. And these whom he called, he also justified without exception. The chain is not broken. All who are called are justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. They are as good as in heaven because of God's call and his justification of them. And so Paul says, I want you to be worthy of your calling. I want you to, I, I want, I, he says, I want God to count you worthy. In other words, to make you worthy or count you worthy. It can go either way. But he's saying, I want God to count you or make you worthy of that calling that he called you, that calling that was a holy calling, that call that called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. It was that effectual call to salvation. Paul said, but when God who has set me apart from my mother's womb and called me, what? Through his grace. That's the call he's talking about. It's that same call that's talked about in 1 Corinthians 1. Verse 21, For since the wisdom of God of the world, of the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for a sign and the Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Gentiles foolishness. There's the gospel call. There's that general call. We give the gospel to people. But to those who are called, there's a special group, the called, both Jews and Greek, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to flesh and not many mighty, not many noble. That's who's in the church. And they have been called by God to salvation. And Paul says, I want God to count you what? Worthy of your salvation. Well, how does that work? Well, first of all, we would say this that the unsaved are unworthy. They're unworthy. They are, they, are, they are God's enemies. They are against him. And believers are worthy of their calling positionally. In other words, when God called you to salvation, you have the righteousness of God, which makes you what? Worthy. So you get to heaven not on your righteousness, not on what you've done, but what, on, what Christ has done on your behalf. God now looks at you as if you had lived Christ's perfect life. 
And that's why we have to understand that the righteousness you stand in is not your own. The only way for you to lose your salvation is for Christ to lose his righteousness. Now, can God sin? No, he cannot. And so your righteousness is secured in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is exalted and seated at the right hand of the Father. So you are worthy by his grace. And we are cloaked in his righteousness. That makes you worthy. So in position, you occupy before God, you are worthy. But in a practical sense, Paul says, I'm praying that God will make you worthy. In other words, he will increase your worthiness. He, we saw back in verse 1-5 that he wanted them to be worthy of the kingdom. And here he says, and he says you, you will be made worthy by suffering. But he says, I want you to now be made worthy in practice. In other words, though you are worthy in position, you are not worthy in practice. In other words, he wants God to be working in their lives to change them. And he says, we're called to walk worthy. Ephesians 4.1, I therefore, the prisoner of Christ, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which you have been called. The fact is, he's calling them to walk worthy. Why? Because they're not. Right? You don't call someone to do something that they're already doing. He says, walk worthy of the manner. In other words, there is a practical aspect of your life that you must live out. Well, how do we do that? How do we act worthy? Well, he says in, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2, With all humility, gentleness, patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, be diligent to preserve the unity of spirit in the bond of peace. There you go. There's an explanation of how to walk worthy. Right? There are things that we must do. We must show forbearance. We must be patient. We must grow in gentleness. We must be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit. In other words, you're unified. To, everyone who has the Spirit is unified in the Spirit. Now it's up for you to what? To live out that unity. Philippians chapter 1, Paul does it again. In verse, Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Well, how do I do that? Well, he tells us in the rest of the verse. Standing firm in one spirit, one mind, striving for the faith of the gospel, never alarmed by your opponents, suffering willingly. You want to walk worthy of the gospel? You want to be worthy of the calling of God as he calls you to himself? This is how you do it. Standing firm in the midst of difficulty. Colossians 1.10, he says it this way. This is what we are to pray, that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. How? Verse 12, Colossians 1.12 
pleasing him in everything in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God and strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, giving thanks. And so there's a call for us to what? Walk worthy of what? Our calling. We have been called with a what? A holy calling. And therefore we are to act what? Holy. When God says, be holy as I am holy, he's being serious. That isn't some, some high pie in the sky. It's actually what we're called to do. And if we want to walk worthy of, of our calling, that's exactly what we will have to do. We will have to be on the road to, to sanctification and holiness. If you remember in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, he said, Walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. How do you do that? Verse 10, devoutly, uprightly, and blamelessly. So you can see the theme that Paul likes goes back to the ideas of worthiness. And he's saying, I pray that God will increase your worthiness to bear the name of his son. I want you to be worthy of bearing the name of his son. One writer says, a worthy, uh, if you look at the New Testament and sum it up, it would be something like this, a worthy walk. And I will give you a list don't, from the scriptures I've read. A worthy walk is a walk in humility, a walk in purity, a walk in contentment, a walk by faith, a walk in righteousness, a walk in unity, a walk in gentleness, a walk in strength, a walk in patience, a walk in love, a walk in joy, a walk in thankfulness, a walk in light, a walk in knowledge, a walk in wisdom, a walk in truth, and a walk in fruitfulness. Did you get all that? (laughs) Summing it up, Jesus, if you say to Christ, you are related, 1 John 2, 9, then you ought to walk, what? As he walked. We're called to Christ's likeness, to walk worthy. And so we know this. He is praying that God would enable Christians to live out what? Their spiritual worthiness. Yes, they are worthy by Christ's righteousness that's been imputed to them. they someday will be worthy to walk with him in white because all sin will be gone. In the meantime, he wants their worthiness to increase, to encompass all their life. In other words, he's calling us to grow in spiritual character. He's calling us to grow to maturity. This is what we're called to pray for one another. This is what we should be praying for ourselves. This is what we should be praying for those around us. Because we know for sure, we don't know if God wants to heal somebody, if he wants to bring him back to health. We don't know if he wants you to pass that math test, but we know this much, that he wants you to grow in worthiness and in biblical character. And so when we pray, is this, what, is this what is saturating our prayers? Do we recognize the importance of this? And are we praying this for one another? Now, I want to make it clear, there is room. 
there is room in our prayers for the horizontal things, right? Even Christ said, give us this day our daily bread in his prayer. But do we go beyond the physical and the material to the eternal in our prayers? And we're called, Paul says, this is what you pray for. Pray for worthiness, for your worthiness and for everyone else's worthiness because you know it's the heart of God. Just a side note, how are you going to find out those things? You need to be in the Word of God. When you read the Word of God, you, you understand the mind of God and you understand what's important to Him. So Paul prays for God-enabled worthiness. Secondly, he prays for God-fulfilled f- desires. He says in verse 11, and fulfill every desire for goodness. He says, I want you to be counted worthy and fulfill every desire for goodness. Fulfill means to bring to completion or full expression. And he says, I I, I want God to fulfill, and again, I think this goes to both of these next statements. One is to the inner, one is to the outer, and he says, I want God to fulfill literally every good pleasure. That which seems good and points to a favorable reaction to a good object in view. And what, what Paul is saying here is this. I want God to fulfill within you every good desire. In other words, every Goodness, every good thing that is produced by this desire, by the Holy Spirit in your life, I want God to fulfill for you. I want God to fulfill that for you. Goodness is, is part of as a fruit of the Spirit's Galatians 5.22. And Paul says, I want these desires, I want God to fulfill every one of your good desires that come out of your heart. Does that sound right? Doesn't sound right, does it? But what does Scripture say? Psalm 2 3. Thou hast given him his heart's desire, thou hast not withheld the request of his lips, for thou dost meet him with blessings of good things. Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you what? The desires of your heart. Delight yourself what? In the Lord. There's the key. If you delight in the Lord and you you serve him with your whole heart and your whole desire is the glory of God. And as you understand the word of God, your desires will be his desires and therefore he will what? He will give them to you. The psalmist said in Psalm 138, the Lord will accomplish what concerns me. James says, look, you ask and do not receive. Why? Because you want to consume it on your own lusts. You're asking for your own self. And Paul says, 
I want God to grant everything that God has produced in your heart. In other words, everything that the Holy Spirit has produced in your desire that is God's desire, I want God to fulfill for you. Now it's interesting because we tend to think and we apply verses that are to the fallen humanity to the believer and we say out of the heart is wickedness and we think that we're completely wicked. But when you were regenerated, God gave you a new heart. You are not who you were. He did a renovation and he changed you. That's why in Luke 6.45, Christ says, The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good. In other words, God gave you a new heart and new desires. And as the Holy Spirit is working in your heart, you are capable of bringing out good because the Spirit is bringing those things out. You are no longer a sinner. You no longer have a a wicked heart. Your heart has been changed. And Paul says, God fulfill their desires give them the longings of their heart give them everything that aligns with your purposes and your will isn't that interesting you think sometimes that christianity is such a drudgery and it's so difficult and it's sacrificial and it is it can be but he also says he will give you what the delights of your heart as you delight in him, he will give you the delights of what? Your heart. Which means what? Paul is saying, Lord, give them what they want. Make them happy. Give them the things that they delight in. Christianity is not about putting your foot in the dirt and saying, I'm a worm. It's about delighting in the things of the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart and you can experience joy here and now. God is generous. God is gracious. And he longs to give his children what they want. And if you love the Lord Jesus Christ and you serve him with all of your heart, he will give it to you. Because your desires will be his desires and his will be done. Paul says, pray that God, for God enabled worthiness, God fulfilled desires and then God empowered works he says I want to be fulfilled God's empowered work the work of faith with power and the work of faith with power we would say maybe this is a necessary complement to desire for goodness the desires need to to be demonstrated that's not good enough just to be in the heart they have to be just demonstrated in action There's an inner desire that now demonstrates it's outwardly. 
And again, we understand that the Thessalonians were already doing the work of faith. We remember back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. He said, Paul said to them, Constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Your work of faith and what? labor of love. They were already laboring. They were already those who were laboring. And Paul says, I want, I want you to continue to do the works of, that, of righteousness that are prompted by the inner desires and that they would be empowered by God. That they would be done through His power. In other words, they must have the, the power that comes. True faith works. James 2 says, Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being dead by itself. But someone may well say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. In other words, how are you going to show me your faith? I can't see it. You've got to show it. And so he says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, what? Unto good works, which he has before ordained that, what? We shall walk in them. And the language there is not, well, we might walk in them. You will walk in them. That is your, that is your destiny when you are saved. He saved you to those righteous works and you will work in them. Don't fool yourself by having sentimental feelings about God, don't fool yourselves by, by feeling that you truly are a believer. If those righteous works are not being produced, then you are not fulfilling that calling that you think you had. In other words, you were called to those righteous works, and if they're not taking place, you should take no comfort in your profession of salvation. Paul says, I want your works to be what? Powerful. I want this work, this fulfilling work, this powerful work, so that what you do is powerful in the Lord. How can that happen? He says that he can grant you according to the riches of his glory and be strengthened with the power through the spirit, what? In the inner man. The power of God is released by the Holy Spirit. How do we get the Holy Spirit? Let the word of God dwell richly in you until the word of God dominates your heart. The Holy Spirit uses the word of God. He works with the word of God, not independently of the word of God. And therefore, you must have the word so that the Holy Spirit can work through it in you. So Paul says, this is what I desire for you, that these works would be done in great power. I want your faith to be powerful, not minimal, but maximal. Is this what we pray for others? 
Are we, are we praying that God would work powerfully and produce righteous works in our brothers and sisters and in ourselves? Because we know that's what God wants. In fact, that's what's eternal. If you get a job or not, doesn't matter. Not eternally. But if you do works righteousness, this is what God desires, your sanctification through the fruit of the Spirit that is now producing action fruit, we call it. That, it, that now that change that has taken place inside as the Holy Spirit transforms your character has now expressed itself in works righteousness. You cannot produce work righteousness in the flesh. If you have not been transformed on the inside, if the Holy Spirit is not producing the fruit of the Spirit, you can do all the actions you want, but it will not be works righteousness. And the only way for your works your faith to work powerfully is to be transformed from the inside and have that working out. Philippians tells us that we are to what? Work out what he is working in us. In other words, the only way you work out is if he works in. Then lastly, as we see this morning, we could call this... God's glory or God, godly motivation for God's glory. And really, the, the purpose of us growing in sanctification, the purpose of us being having works, faith that works and being transformed is ultimately the glory of God. He says, so that the name of our Lord will be glorified in you and you in him. Paul places, again, a special emphasis on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, in that era, when you gave the, the name stood for more than just the person, it stood for all that the person was, his qualities, his power. It revealed the fundamental character of the person. And he says, so that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, will, or Lord Jesus, will be glorified. He is the Lord. He is right to rule. He is the King to come. Jesus, the one who came to earth. And he says, your desire in all your prayer as you pray is ultimately what? That the Lord Jesus Christ will be glorified. And that he will be glorified what? Not just glorified, and again, glorified here has the idea of fame to his name. He's given the credit that he is due. Right? You can't add to God's glory, but you can what? Proclaim it. And he says, you, you proclaim his glory. And he says, that, so that the name of our Lord may be glorified, what? In you and you in him. In other words, the reason that you are you are. God is producing worthiness and, and fulfilling your desires and enabling your works is ultimately so that what? When Christ comes, when he returns, he will be glorified in you and you in him. There's a reciprocal relationship here. There's a union with Christ here. And he says, God will be glorified in you. How can that be? Well, when you act like Jesus Christ, when you 
when you are completely conformed to his image and as you grow closer to his image, you start to reflect who the Lord Jesus Christ is. And you proclaim the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ by your life. And he says, I want you to continue in growing in sanctification and holiness and righteousness so that when Jesus Christ comes, he is glorified in you. We see, we see Christ-likeness in you. And he says, he will be glorified in you and you in him. When he comes, you will be what? Changed. Does not appear what we will be like, but when we see him, we shall be like him, for we shall what? See him face to face. And the glory of, of Jesus Christ will transform us completely. We will be glorified. And as much as a created being can be, we will reflect the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, I pray this prayer, not just for you, Thessalonians, not even though I desire this for you, but I do, I pray this prayer for each one of you because I want Jesus Christ to be glorified. Can there be anything greater in the world than the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ in lifting up his name? So Paul says, this is, this is the purpose. This is the reason that I pray. I pray these things because I want Jesus Christ to be glorified. I want him to be glorified in you and you in him. Because he glorifies us who have glorified him. And then he adds really this statement at the end. According to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe we can make this point five. But this is really the provision. This is how it happens. This is how this is able to take place. How on earth can I accomplish all of this? Well, it's according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, you were saved by grace. You live by grace. God's grace didn't stop when you were saved. It continues to go day by day through your life. That grace enables you to live in obedience. That puts God's blessing upon you. That puts you in God's favor. That puts you, God on your side. Now there's some debate here whether this is speaking of God, of God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ or, or our God uh, it's, it's speaking of, of, of just Jesus Christ where it's the God our Lord and Jesus Christ. But either way, he's saying, listen, it is the grace of God that allows you to fulfill these things. He is our resource. He's the one that allows this to take place. It's glorified in us and us in him. And so he affirms the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's talking about, if he's talking about the one person, if not, he is simply referring to God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ in their work and in the grace that is extended to us. 
And so we are totally dependent upon the sovereign grace of God to accomplish all of it. So Paul challenges us here this morning. He challenges us to pray the way that God desires. He challenges us to lift our eyes from the mundane and the ordinary to the eternal and the extraordinary. And he calls us to pray for the things that are on God's heart, that we would be worthy, that we would have the fruit of the Spirit produce godly desires in us for good, for what God desires, that we would work out our faith in righteous works, and that it would all be done for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he might be glorified and that he might ultimately be glorified when he returns. I trust that this is how we pray. This is how we need to pray. Let us be those who pray God's heart. Because these things are eternal. These things are forever. And these things we know God will answer because he has declared that it will happen. You are as good as what? Glorified. Praise his name. Let's close in prayer. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its richness. We thank you for its depth. And we thank you that we have these prayers that demonstrate to us Paul's heart as his heart followed you. And I would pray that you would help us to be those who would pray eternal things, that we would pray the things that you desire so that you might will be glorified. Make us a praying church, I pray. Make us a church focused on eternity for your glory. Amen.